Hi everybody, what you're about to hear is a 20 minute preview of the simply syndicated show Shaken Not Stirred. It's all about Bond films, that's why it's called Shaken Not Stirred. Do you see what we did there? It's ever so clever. Anyway, it's a great show, we love doing it a lot, and there's loads of episodes of this show. We're going to do at least one per Bond film. This is just a preview of one of the shows. If you want to hear the whole thing, go on over to simplysyndicated.com, that's where we live, slash shows, slash shaken not stirred. There's menus and everything, you'll figure it out. And there you can see that you can buy all the episodes, or you can sign up to Simply Everything, which just costs a couple of quid a month and gives you access to everything we make. If you like James Bond films, you'll probably like some of the other stuff we do. Some of it's free and you can just download it. Enjoy that. That's great. That's yours. But some of it you just pay a little bit for. Okay. So, but it's supposed to be good. That's the point. So there's no ads in it either. That's also kind of, I'm just rambling now. Listen to the show. It's, we think it's good. So have fun. Hello, welcome to uh, Shaken Not Stirred. Hello. Hello. I nearly fell into trying to do that in a Sean Connery voice. Hello. <laughs> Shaken <laughs> Not Stirred. Shaken Not Stirred. Did it in the end anyway. Right, so you only live twice. Apparently. Or so they say. Yeah. The fifth film. Is it the fifth already? Yeah, we're on to the fifth. Wow. This is the last of the original good ones. Uh, um, by good, you mean Sean Connery ones? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, after this, we're going on to On Her Majesty's Secret Service, which is grim, to say the least. That's kind of why we put this one off, isn't it? Yeah. That's the, There's been a mental barrier in doing this, because you know, I know I'm about to leave my comfort zone. <laughs> well, the, I do you know what though? I do like the uh, Roger Moore era. It's all camp and comedy. Yeah, yeah. It, it changes pace. It, it, they're they're very different films, uh, and they are, they do become known as the Roger Moore ones. They are very definitely the Roger Moore ones. Yeah. Um, but on Her Majesty's Secret Service and Diamonds Are Forever, in which Sean Connery returns. One oh, can God, only yes. assume they drove two dump trucks full of cash up to his house. <laughs> um, you know, nothing teaches the producers how needed you are by you not being there. Uh, uh, so that's what they, they did. I, I actually don't think On Her Majesty's Secret Service is the worst Bond film. but It was a difficult one for Lazenby, wasn't it? Absolutely. It's a difficult one to jump into a role. That's that's the next show. Anyway. Yeah, we should we should we should save that for the next show. Yeah, this is this let's the last one of the proper good ones, the original run of of Bond films before things started going weird. I'd be interested to know up until this came out in 1967. I'd be interested to know how many film series had made it into five parts at this point. I mean, now a five film series. You mean is, by by series you mean franchise? Yeah. The only ones I can think of off the top of my head are probably Carry On. Of course, because they were filming three or four for every Bond film that happened. Yep. 
Um, other than that, oh, now I feel compelled to search for the Carry On films and just get some confirmation on that one. Oh yeah, of course, because they were doing those back in the day when they were they started well into black and white. Yeah, nineteen fifty eight. They'd have been well past their fifth film by then, wouldn't they? Absolutely. How many have they done? That's the question. Ah, hang on then. Uh, the Carry On films, they have done 31. Jesus. Between 1958 and 1992, 31 low-budget films. Um, the last one was Columbus? It was. Uh, so they did the first lot over a 20-year period, 58 to 78, and then Carry On Columbus came out in 92. According to the the Wikipedia. Running time estimated at 2,700 minutes. There's a useful <laughs> statistic for you. What's the running time of all the carry-on films combined? Who would ever want to know that? And who has sat down and, and, and why added estimate that up? it? Why not just add it up yeah, properly rather it's, than estimating? <laughs> it's probably around the 2,700 point, I would imagine. Add them up. It's only adding 31 numbers. <laughs> Get a calculator. That's easy. Anyway, and there'll all be numbers less than a hundred. I bet. Never mind. You only live twice. So it's the Bond franchise is doing well at this point. Yes. People liked Goldfinger. They they were gonna like this, and it's all right. I'm gonna hit play on the uh, copy I have of it here, so it's playing along while I'm talking. Um. Let's see. So it's it's set in Japan. So it it's, is. It's quite exotic, <clears throat> and we're going to get quite. Is it a Japan, or is it? He starts off in Hong Kong, doesn't he? Ooh. We'll find out yes. in a minute. As, as yeah, he starts off in Hong Kong and then goes to Japan. Okay. Uh, we get again. There's a few Bond tropes that come out for the first time in this one. What? Yeah, there are, but I, I've, I've got to say, was there a different theme on this one, or a newly recorded theme? I'm not sure off the top of my head. I haven't. Or it may be that this is the first one that I've watched that had good sound quality on it. Maybe so. I haven't read anything about that, and <clears> I haven't <throat> noticed anything myself, and I can't check now because I'm doing a show. But fair enough. Um, it it might might have happened, but as you say, given the. I think we've pointed out the this audio quality on the Blu-ray transfers is quite poor. Yeah. Uh, and so maybe it was this one where they could do something decent with it uh, and it just sounds cleaner. I don't know. I, there's I also... Yeah, there's... Is there, oh, no, there, no. It, it's... it's uh, I've, I've got to say as well, like it starts off in space, right? Yeah. These effects kind of hold up. It's not bad at all, really. I mean, apart from the fact that <laughs> when I mean, the ship is just going across the screen above the Earth, that's a bit ropey. But, like, you can't see anything really in the way of any of the mats or anything or any rear projection or whatever. No, there's nothing like that. It's pretty clean. Uh, the only thing that really <clears throat> spoils it for me is the the, <clears throat> the fact that it's clearly not filmed in zero gravity. Which yes. I'm not. I'm not getting at them for. It's 1968. What are you going to do? What would you do now? You wouldn't even bother doing it for this now. Um, 
but it, well, it's... Have you seen Gravity? No. Did they do that in Zero G as well? No. They all did right. it all on wires. So it can be done very well. Yeah. I will, I will see Gravity at some point. It's worth it. When it makes it to Blu-ray. I yeah. Think. Um, but you're right. These these effects hold up. I'm now at the point they're they're getting captured by the big, the slightly bigger spaceship that eats smaller spaceships. Yeah. Which is quite a. I don't even know if this would work scientifically. <laughs> to be perfectly well, honest, isn't it's no real difference from a docking procedure, surely? If I you've don't got know. the dimensions. Can you? It's what do they really do in terms of docking procedures? I don't know. My favourite part about this is that they don't have an airlock. They just open the cockpit and they're straight out into space. That's what year was this? 68. 68. So they would have had a spacewalk by now. But surely. they didn't have an airlock. No. Did they not? No. You want an airlock, you've got to wait for a space shuttle to come along. Really? Yeah. Oh, I suppose they had a separate capsule, though, didn't they? Um, Maybe not. Maybe depending, not. No. Um, so the whole the whole spaceship depressurized. Yeah, it was a case of everybody put your helmet on. I believe like that. I'm prepared to be corrected, but that's that's how I understood it, especially in sort of the Apollo days. Hmm. That sort of thing. I mean, you see them in in the movie Apollo 13 when things start to go wrong. It's get your helmet on. Yes. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. Because, but I mean. Mind you, that, go, that, that kind of that's, makes that's sense kind of a anyway. good, good thing to, to do if you're in space and anything goes wrong at all. I wonder Get how many uh, Starship Enterprise crew members would have been saved over the years <laughs> if put your helmet on was the red alert <laughs> procedure. <laughs> you know, that one dude floating off into space, he'd be, he should be all right. Just, ah, I got my helmet on. <laughs> <laughs> you really need to watch Gravity. I will do. I'll get to it. So, so anyway, then we go back to Earth where... Uh, the USSR and the Americans are blaming each other for capturing each other's spaceships. And the Brits are in the middle. I do love the political dynamic that's going on in this this room here. That you just need the British person to say, well, come now. Don't be so silly. Clearly, this is the work of somebody else. What are you doing? Stop arguing. <laughs> children, children, please. I, I forget the exact line he used, but it's something along the lines of, well, we believe our own thing and we're investigating, so you can either be with us or against us. Yeah. But Her Majesty has decided to do this. So, screw you guys. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> fine. It's it's good. I, I'd like the, I kind of like the reminder that we were maybe once considered a world power. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I, you know, I get that little sense of nostalgia there. It's, the weird thing is that they came to us as the reasonable guys. Who would do that these days? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, go go to the UK. They're reasonable people. They can mediate this. Did you ever see the? Uh, do you remember the Mac PC adverts that Apple? Yeah. Did? Did oh you? yeah. And yeah. there were there were many parodies. Did, there was one where you had a guy coming going, "Hi, I'm a Mac," and then the guy goes, "Hi, I'm a PC." And then this other dude walks on and goes, "Hi, I'm Linux." And the other two turn to him and just go, "Fuck off." <laughs> I think I have seen that. That's what I imagine that scene would play out like if they did it today. America yeah. and Russia just turning to us, going, "Fuck off." Okay, sorry, didn't mean to say anything. Sorry. <laughs> It's kind of what happens at the UN these days, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. Um, 
or any EU conference. Yeah. But we then <laughs> move on to another joke beginning. They feel like they did well getting us at the beginning of From Russia With Love with the, but Bond's dead. And they thought they'd bring it back again for this. I've, I've, yes, yeah. But th- this scene, oh, this scene, it's like immediately we're into uncomfortable territory because, I mean, apart from the fact that Sean Connery looks like he's wearing a wig. He may like, well be. He may well be. But um, this is where he he utters the immortal line, Chinese girls taste different. Doesn't he ask, why do Chinese girls taste different? <laughs> Possibly. To which I'd say it's probably the MSG. <laughs> I don't... I'm only joking, everybody. Oh, only, my God. Only joking. <laughs> only everybody in the world. Oh, God. I'm, I'm kidding. That's, that's a joke <laughs> answer. I don't think it's a terrible thing for him to have said. He's, he's, not, being, he's not being racist. No, I know, but it's again, it's just so rapey. Is it? Did, is it? Is, are you just you, getting you a rapey assume, vibe from Sean Connery? In maybe general, I right? am, but but like, uh, th- well, let's wait until we get further on in this film to for, to pass judgment on that. But basically, you have to assume that he's been with many, many, many women of many, many different races and cultures and creeds to come to the conclusion that. Chinese girls taste different. Absolutely. Oh, come on. We've got enough evidence of that from the four previous films. <laughs> Fair point. Fair point. We, we know he's an absolute slag. And it's just how he works. But he gets killed. He does. Again. Terrible. I, and I have a lifelong fear of women with fold-down beds <laughs> because of this. <laughs> it never really came up, fortunately. But I guarantee you, if I was ever to go back to a girl's house and she had a fold-up bed, I'd just, sorry, love, it's off. I'm going now. I've got to say, if you slow-mo through this scene, when that bed shuts... Oh, I've not tried that. Hang on. Is it is it poor? Is it blatantly a mannequin strapped to a bed? No, no, no. No, because there's no one on the bed when it closes. But basically, you just watch the wall... Oh, the whole thing goes, doesn't it? The whole set is wobbling. I think even the ceiling fan wobbles. It's just... (laughs) (laughs) Does that... that, Surely that still happens uh, with films. Mustn't it? Because they they just build them better. Oh, right. If they know know it's going to be like that sort of contraption, they'll build it better. So is this really just a question of shit set building? More than anything. No, it's probably a question of budget and, and, you know, the age that it was built in. Right. Behind that bed when it goes, except a curtain. They only built what they needed. Fair enough. Um, So, yeah, anyway, he gets shot. He gets folded up in a bed and he gets shot with uh, some wicked cool machine guns. I love it when the cartridge is on the side. I do as well. It's very cool, isn't it? I've just been reminded by the opening credits, we've not said who this film was directed by. I don't know. I haven't got there yet, that's why. Oh, right. It's a man called Lewis Gilbert. I I don't know how significant he is. Let's see. Um, Directed more than 40 films. Among them are such varied titles as Reach for the Sky, Sink the Bismarck, Alfie, 
educating Rita, Shirley Valentine. Oh, hello. He's quite good then. Yeah. Oh, well, you say that because his uh, last one is good, Moonraker. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, so that, that kind of drags you down. Uh, and you, the Spy Who Loved Me. So we'll talk about this guy twice more. Mm. But we, someone we probably won't talk about more is the person who did the screenplay for this. Roald Dahl. Indeed. Um, I, 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 I'm tempted to say a very unusual choice, but he did do other... Uh, he did. Didn't he do... Um, Tales of the Unexpected. Did he? They were... They, that was all his writing, Tales of the Unexpected. Um, which, for those of you who aren't as old as us and who don't know what Tales of the Unexpected is, it was a kind of weekly drama series and each show was a completely different story so it, it wasn't like a series series it was just tonight on tales of the unexpected here's a story uh i've only seen a couple because it was on when i was very very young its theme tune is perhaps more famous than uh the actual show itself but the one i saw wasn't bad roald dahl of course being famous for writing legendary children's novels that my and he also did really... Chitty Chitty Bang Bang as well. No, that, that was Ian Fleming. Mm, no. Screenplayers by Roald Dahl. Oh, right. I see what you're saying. Yes. Ian Fleming wrote the book of Chitty yeah. Chitty Bang Bang. Yes. Sorry. Obviously, obviously liked working together then. Well, they, they do all right when they do because two classic films. You know, we're still talking about... Uh, well, they're still doing stage plays of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I have trouble saying it. I have to say it very yeah. carefully. Because <laughs> otherwise you end up doing the uh, the adult version. Yeah. <laughs> Did you know Mike uh, worked on that show in the West End for two weeks? Which one? Uh, Stora. He of Make no, It well, so. Which show? Uh, Chitty Chitty. <laughs> Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. <laughs> I was waiting for you to m- m- mess that up. Yeah. Sorry, Rich. I'm just trying to trip you, you up. That's mean. That's mean. Yeah, he did two <laughs> weeks on that show as part of his Unicos. With, that's pretty uh, cool. With Michael Ball. Oh. Well, yeah. Oh, well. Who apparently will not go on stage until his agent tweaks his nipples. <laughs> that's, that's bullshit. That's Michael Ball's pre-show psych-up. That's bullshit. That can't be true. I that's just I Mike. Know. That's just Mike. Pit, like, might be true. Might not. Making stuff up. I don't know. I don't know. And he said, Brian Blessed, who was also on that show, will say Gordon's alive at the drop of a hat if you just. Oh, ask he him. will. Yeah, he will. He's and he's like he is a raging loon, but he's one of the nicest guys ever. He I lives would, locally to me. I would love to spend an hour chatting with Brian Blessed. You uh, wouldn't get to chat. Well, yeah. As soon as you say hello, he's off, and he will speak for an hour at you. No, that's that's brilliant. That's what I. That's what you want, essentially, isn't it? If I was recording an interview with me and Brian Blessed, no one's downloaded that to hear me. <laughs> but the weird thing, I, me- I remember bumping into him when he was just uh, doing, or he just finished filming The Phantom Menace, or doing the voice for The Phantom Menace, and he was just, Telling anyone who'd listened the storyline. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. Brilliant. Oh, dear. 
because what's George Lucas going to do to Brian Blessed? What's anyone going to do to Brian Blessed? He would shout at them until they went away. He, he would just open his mouth and shout, and they would—they literally would be blown away. They would. You, you know when he's coming because he'll—he'll he'll enter a room or a, or a shop or whatever and just go, "I'm here!" <laughs> Brilliant. Like, oh, hi, nice to see you, Brian. Love that guy. Love that guy. Anyway. Anyway. Things are happening. <laughs> he's being given his mission by M at this point. No, hang he's... on, hang on. He hasn't because he got buried at sea. Uh, where Where are you up to? Give me a give uh, me a time code. Uh, eight minutes thirty-one. All oh, right, I was. I'm, but I'm fast forwarding. So he's he's been buried at sea by the Royal Navy, um, because he's dead. So they're making a big show of the fact that he's having this burial at sea, and then some divers like rescue his body and uh, take him to a submarine. Um, again, very clear waters in Hong Kong. It um, looks generally very clean there. Yes. Yeah. But is, this is is this the first time we see him in his full naval uniform as well? Uh, I'm not sure about that. Uh maybe cuz it's it might be it's a dress uniform, isn't it? Mm. It might be the first time we see him in a naval dress uniform. Mm. Um But uh it, what what is it, what is his connection with the navy? He's a commander in the Royal, Royal Navy. That's why he's Commander Bond in later films. But he he's in MI6. Yeah, I, I guess we don't know because we need to know the backstory for that. But I would imagine that he was recruited from the Navy. That, that's the feeling I get.